welcome to Additive Insight, your source for news, interviews and comment on the latest 3D printing and additive manufacturing intelligence brought to you by the TCT content team. I'm Laura Griffiths, TCT Head of Content and I'm joined by... Sam Davis, Senior Content Producer. What did you look like you didn't know your job title then? Um, because I'm jet lagged <laughs> and tired and had a late night. Yeah, we're here at the Additive Manufacturing Users Group Conference in Chicago been here since Saturday, it's now Wednesday. Um, we had a lovely off-site event last night at the Science Museum? Yeah, I can't remember the official name. Is it Museum of Technology and things? It's the Museum of something and something. One of, the, one of those somethings of science. It's high technology, yeah. And um, we've been three times, so yeah, we should know the name. we should, yeah. Um, so we're both quite tired today, um, so we apologise if this one is a bit uh, all over the place. But um, five minutes before we decided not to make a plan for it. <laughs> and half an hour after you failed to get a coffee because of my That's true. Um, dietary requirements. Yes, let's not go on about that, shall we? Um, so yeah, we're just going to run through some of the things that we've seen at the event this week. Um, if you don't know, if you've never been before, the Additive Manufacturing Users Group Conference is solely run for, uh, by volunteers for users of additive manufacturing technology. And we are here for, I think this is my fifth time. It's my fourth time. So it's been, for me, I've not been for the last two years, so it's been quite nice to come back and just see how things have changed. Um, but it's always a nice event to come to. It, it feels different to a lot of the other events that we get to go to. It's a conference, but it's also heavily about networking and meeting people. Um, and I don't know about you, but when I made a plan for this week, I really tried to like, you know, yeah, I'll do this at this time, this at this time, and it's just not worked out like, at all. No, I think I have meetings scheduled and you never arrive on time. don't think anyone really expects you to arrive on time. You're going to bump into someone between yeah. one salon and another or one floor and another. Um, but I don't know. That's just to be expected, I think. Mm -hmm. We've done it enough times yeah. to know that you have, a, you have a plan, but you don't really have a plan. And we spend most of our time in the Hilton basement, and it is like a maze, isn't it? So even though we've been here since Saturday, it's still quite hard to find your way around. Yeah, I still don't know. I know how to get to this room we're in now. <laughs> I don't know, certainly how to... I have a, an interview at, I don't know, 12, 30, maybe 1 o'clock. I don't know where that booth is. Um, but I'll find it. But we're getting on with it. We are. Well, <laughs> it's like when you go on holiday and you get your bearings, like six days in and on the seventh day you yeah. pack up and leave oh, yeah. it's basically like that and then you do that on film you go oh I could have come for two weeks you know actually two weeks is too much just ten days yeah <laughs> exactly yeah yeah <laughs> um, so yeah we just want to kind of talk about some of the things that have interested us the most this week I think some of the big ones are going to be the keynotes that we've sat in there's still one more to go tomorrow I won't be here but uh, Sam you're going to get to hear from launcher tomorrow mm -hmm. um, but we had the first day first morning very much an intro to the whole AMUG experience and then day two we had um, a keynote presentation a joint keynote from two people who actually met at the AMUG conference in 2019 which was the last one I was at um, and it was by an animator and also an architect, architect slash surgeon slash all these other things as we watched the presentation today. He's done pretty much um, everything. But um, it was really interesting to sit and and hear from these two guys. So it was um, Robert Juicy from Leica Studios and Nicholas Jacobson of the University of Colorado's Anschutz Medical Campus. Um, and they're basically talking about how a lot of the stuff that they do, there's a lot of crossover between the technologies that they use 
all very much about around bitmap printing, voxel level printing, and then um, imaging, medical modelling, all that kind of stuff. Um, and I think going in, you're kind of wondering how these two people could possibly have knowledge to share with each other, how like, some of the things that we saw on stage today, how could these things result in this? But Sam, I, I think it's safe to say it's we're the best keynote that we've been to in our time at AMOG. I think so, and, and Lyca obviously gave a good one a couple of years back, mm-hmm. um, was that 2019 maybe, but I think yeah. what was funny was that, like coming into that I didn't know what to expect of it and how the, there would be any crossover, but as soon as they brought up, as soon as like Lyca brought up, um, was it Coraline mm-hmm. on, on the, in their kind of software and they were, they were moving bits of the mouth around, I was like, oh that's obviously, like, mm-hmm. and I, when I was speaking to Pat on, on last week's podcast, um, he, he mentioned how in F one they do they do do work with aerospace because there's a load of crossovers there with the the kind of um, requirements they have and the kind of forces they're putting their parts through, um, and I, I I I probably wouldn't have assumed that the the healthcare version of that is to find someone who's making movies, but as soon as I as soon as he brought that that video up of them just adjusting parts on the mouth and I, I could just un- immediately understand exactly why they're able to work together mm-hmm. and if you don't know like studios they specialize in stop-motion animation and they use a ton of 3d printing for that Sam you wrote a really great article a few years back now and um, which really ran through just how the technologies progress I think when they first started using the technology in 2009 I think they printed was it 20,000 faces uh, for that first movie Coraline um, and then the very last film they had out, uh, Missing Link, which is a great film if you've not actually seen it. It's so cool. Uh, I think it's, it's like 102 or 120, something 102, like that. 102, yeah. Um, so you can see how the technology progressed there and just the technology they, they use into, um, you know, the, I think the last time we heard from them, they worked with the Stratasys J750 machine, which we know is a multicolor, uh, multi-material system, and it's just really allowing them to get to these really like, fine details. Um, but you are right, that's, that's where you really did see the connection um, on stage because um, one of the projects they're working on together is using uh, medical modelling and this bitmap printing to work on a solution that's kind of like Invisalign for your teeth, but it's for children um, going through treatment for cleft palate. And it was, I'd never really thought of, of, of this before, but similar to the way you go and get different moulds done for your teeth, it's a gradual process. Um, usually children that will go through um, this treatment will have to go through surgery three times in their life. It's very labour intensive, lots of moulds being taken. You can imagine it's very uncomfortable, and for a child especially. Um, and uh, lots of trips to the hospital, you know, and um, on stays, the guys are explaining just how, you know, that can be that can be hours every single week for some parents having to take these children to these um, to hospital so seeing this how they're using um using you know it, medical medical modeling to like model a child's face and then they make these gradual changes so that they can you know d- d- kind of close the palette over time it was just it was really fascinating to see we've got some images of it now up on the tct website and i know it's a story that you and i really want to follow up on um but seeing that there and that they kind of they mimicked it with um it was the, the Coraline image that they had and just showing how they they can um subtly change these these face expressions in the same way they'll do when they're animating a movie you know they they have what is it something like um 20 um 20 models per like second or something like yeah. that yeah oh yeah so it's 24 frames yeah. A second, and that means twenty four different printed yeah. parts, and it, and the the subtleties between one frame and another is so tiny mm-hmm. that you, if they were even sat next to each other, you probably wouldn't be able to um, identify what was different about them. Mm-hmm. And 
<clears throat> I think when you re- when you remember that and remember the deeds, and I I think they've got a new movie coming out mm, next year maybe mm-hmm. um, that I don't think they're able to talk about yet. But I I don't I can't imagine the number of printed parts I've got for that movie given in you know between when did when did Missing Link come out twenty nineteen yeah yeah so there's been three years four years since that. Um, I imagine, yeah, the, the numbers will be incredible. So when you and when you think about why they've got that amount of prints um, and the the detail that goes into that and the the very subtle differences between those those different parts, it, you can then realise why someone like a surgeon can mm-hmm. can take from that um, and and use that to do what they're doing. Mm-hmm. The presentation itself was just. Um it was great because we we walked into that room and we saw these empty boxes of Play-Doh outside. Mm. And I was like, what on earth is this for? And I got in and saw these tiny pots on people's chairs. I was like, oh, okay. And so um, what what the guys got to do, Nicholas, the, the, he's the, the surgeon side of the, the conversation, he asked everybody to take a, a A4 sheet of paper and try and mould it into a brain that you could see on screen. And I'll be honest, no, nobody could do it. <laughs> I think a few gave it a good shot. Did. And I think that must be... Um, engineers not wanting to believe they couldn't do it. Absolutely. Um, and, I, I mean, I wouldn't know where to begin. <laughs> I would just be so stressed out in that moment. <laughs> um, so fair play to anyone who, who had a crack. That was an impossible task. <laughs> And then the next task was with the Play-Doh to try and make um, a heart model with that. And there was some, the guy in front of me had made a really mm. decent one, actually. I thought, he's, I was watching him, yeah. he's good, isn't he? Um, I wouldn't be very much good at that, either. <laughs> <laughs> but the idea was to basically show you how um, having new tools really opens up new modelling techniques, new opportunities to, and in this case, to really improve patient care. Mm. Um, it was just, it was a fascinating talk just because of the applications that they're developing. But I think also... I know AMUG have really rammed this home, but it was just a really nice example of what can happen somewhere like this when people are open to discussion and talking about how they do things and how they overcome challenges and then how that can then help other people. And um, we will talk about it in a moment, but I do think the other presentation today, the Innovative Showcase with uh, with Diana, mm. very much had that same message as well. I think with the the Tuesday keynote, the, the like one as well, I think... So what I think AMOG would expect in that scenario is that a surgeon goes up to the, the Leica team to understand how they do what they do. Mm-hmm. But I, I wouldn't anticipate that AMOG expects them to actually get together and collaborate on mm-hmm. it. I think that's a very much like, oh, you use this technology and you do this. Oh, well, I'll go and think about that for what I do. Whereas this seemed to have taken it up a level and, like, you know, like, it's... M- madness that like are <laughs> collaborating with surgeons really Absolutely. <laughs> but um it's really interesting and i think it, it it's probably a good example for the industry of a just collaboration in general but b being open to outside of the box collaborations as well because that I was talking about this on, on the other podcast we recorded this week um which went out last tuesday and um, the like we were talking about the idea that most strategic partnerships are made at the top level. Mm. I don't imagine somebody at the top level of either one of those organisations is thinking of that kind of collaboration. They would never ever come to that conclusion. Mm-hmm. But two people with hands on knowledge of the technology, 
who are who are facing their problem and they're the ones who have to deal with it I think that kind of dynamic is much more likely to to happen at an event like this as opposed to you know and the results that come from it like top level people I don't think are ever are ever coming to that solution because I'd have never even thought that those two people and those two organisations should work together mm-hmm. well should we talk about uh, Diana's talk today so um, Diana Kalis who is this year's recipient of the um, Innovate- Innovators Award Innovators Award yeah. yes um, she's been in the industry now for over 30 years um, we've featured it a few times now on the you know in the mag and on the website and stuff and she really is one of the like original pioneers of the technology and not because she invented any of it but just because the things she's been able to do with it that she's someone who is known for asking the right questions and and you know pushing back when things things don't work and making sure that people are very um realistic and pragmatic about the technology but i mean excited as well um i loved this presentation this morning i just thought it was such a genuine chat and, and to be fair to Todd Graham as well who hosted the conversation I thought he was a, it was a great interview there mm-hmm. really I felt like I was just sat on like a proper like sitting in like a really nice podcast recording and um, it just felt it felt very natural and yeah. so the innovators the innovators award is as it sounds it's for people that are innovating in the industry and similar to our hall of fame really a lot of those times you do seem to think that the innovators are the people that have invented things and um on a couple of episodes ago on the, this podcast i interviewed uh, mark abshire who's the president of amog and he was talking about diana he used to work with her and he said that he was very much looking forward to this showcase because people think of innovation as inventing and he said and it doesn't it doesn't always mean that and he thinks that Diana is a true innovator because of what she's been able to do with the technology, because of the way she thinks about the technology. And it was so nice after the conversation today when Todd was finished and you know the, the hour was up and then Mark got on stage and just sat down with it. I thought that was lovely, you know, and he genuinely was very thankful for, for everything that she's contributed to this industry. And I think he described her as, you know, it, it's this industry isn't just about innovation, it's about inspiration as well. And I may be sounding all cheesy, but I absolutely love that because I think it's true. Um, I yeah, I think what was even nicer than that was when, and credit to Mark for allowing other people the opportunity as well as when three of her former colleagues or current colleagues got up and, and just spelled out the impact that she'd had on their careers. And not just in a, not even from a like technical capability, but just a a kind of being welcome in and um there was one and I forget their name but he was he was talking about her emotional intelligence and her commitment to letting everybody in the room be heard and I think those things they're, they're only tiny things really but I think they have such an impact whereby Diana's obviously great at what she does but you could tell even today she's very modest yeah and um very humble and she doesn't she doesn't think wrongly but she doesn't think <laughs> that she belongs on that stage but she's also aware enough that other people have got um things to contribute and she really allows that to to kind of flourish mm-hmm. and i i think um obviously that's great news for 3D systems i think that's probably great news for the industry that there are people like that um in this space who you know do kind of 
share the the opportunity to actually contribute because mm-hmm. um, I'm sure she could do an awful lot of things on her own yeah. she knows what she's doing but I thought that was really nice as well mm-hmm. yeah and I think um, talking specifically about um, Diana and her relationship to Amor so she'd been there from the start when this was still a 3D Systems SLA user yeah. group and um, apparently she was the first person to suggest this idea of like a wish list so genuinely going out and asking these users what what do you need from this technology what what do you want and I know from conversations I'd had when I I, I um, spoke to Diana a few years back now for an article about some of the, the early um, women in this industry and a lot of people really singled out Diana as someone who um, was willing to like listen to those suggestions but also say no that's not going to work mm-hmm. you know really like you know because you've got to have that, that challenge that, that, them as well exactly why do you need it what yeah. do you actually want to do I loved all that because I you know it's something we, we, we do hear quite often in this industry now thankfully which is not just like you know yeah great get a 3D printer why do you want a 3D printer mm-hmm. like forget the 3D printer what do you actually want to do with this what do you want to make because if it's not a 3d printer that you need to buy then don't bother buying one because yeah. you're going to get annoyed by it and it's not going to work for you yeah. and I, I love that story that she told about where she where she had, had a bit of a, a to-do with a, a salesperson working with her at the time who had brought in a customer was asking these questions and diana was like well what, what do you need to use this for like, well if that's what you need you need to go across the road to dtm instead <laughs> and, and that's great and it's funny because now every salesperson in this industry will tell you that they would do the same mm-hmm. but 25, 30 years ago they wouldn't mm-hmm. and that's good but it, it's like it just shows that her attitude and her approach to this space and this technology was maybe a little before it's time and I think there was a, there's a lot of that going on back then but it was very much you maybe held the odd company or the odd person in a company whereas now I think there's a lot more of an understanding of that mm-hmm. and maybe because we've as an industry we've experienced it where you you market that your technology can do all of these things. Or you close things off to other people. Or you close things off to other people and then it disenfranchises users and then it just prolongs progress, basically. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, there were loads of great little anecdotes like that throughout the whole, I think it was maybe about an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, it was, it was really good. I think... Um, she said, um, she, had, she was good on truck holiday, I thought. Oh, yeah. Um, like, it was really nice. And again, she was really modest when she was saying um, that, <laughs> he's ne- I think she said, he's never made me feel small or stupid, even though he's had plenty yeah. of opportunity to do so, <laughs> because I made a load of mistakes. But um, it was nice to get some insight onto that relationship as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that whole idea of you, you're walking into a job where it's not only your boss, like she said, this man had, has invented not just the technology but an industry. Yeah. I remember the first time I met him and it was at AMUG in 2016 and I felt very nervous. I was like, I've never met someone who's done that. Mm. <laughs> um, and I was like, oh, this is going to be scary. The nicest man. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously very, very passionate. It was about figure four at the time, which Diana talked about a lot today, yeah. so particularly the new materials and things like that. Um, but yeah, I can imagine that's quite an in- intimidating room to step into, but you do need that, you know, that encouragement, and obviously he's very supportive. Yeah, there. and she said something great about that the early beginnings of the industry, and it's something that whenever I'm talking to someone who's, who's, who's started in, like, the, the late 80s or 90s, um, she said that people who left jobs, stable jobs, to come into this industry took real guts. Mm. And whenever I think about it, whenever I'm talking to, like, an Andrew Graves, I'm just like what do you mean you, like, left an actual job to come into not just a startup company, but a startup industry? Mm-hmm. I was like, 
I would never do that. Mm-hmm. I would never have the guts to do that. I would just be like, mm, probably keep an eye on that, but not. So anyone who's done that, and Diana did, in '89, I think she said, mm-hmm. like that is crazy to me, mm-hmm. because the the vision you must have to see that this can go somewhere. And and back then it would have been really like early. It would have just been like being an R and D lab, but. Uh, a university or something mm-hmm. like yeah this technology can do all of these things but is it actually going to yeah and who's actually buying it and who's actually using it um so i think it was really nice to to touch on that and she also mentioned people who you know on the other side of it who are users and who've been doing what they do for decades and then they take on 3d printing and that that's really brave as well i guess mm-hmm. to especially back then to put your faith in a, in a technology um, and it's funny because when you come to this event, you see people like like Pat, who was on the on the podcast the other day, and it yeah they just they took it on board and they still use it and they still come to this event like twenty five thirty years on, mm-hmm. um, which is quite nice. I do just want to make a general comment about that as well. That like you say there's a lot of people that have been here for a long time and they're still very passionate about technology. They will they will keep coming to this event. But I've also really appreciated. I mean, you've made a few comments about it this week. Like, there's definitely a younger demographic here yeah. this time. And granted, I've not been here for the last two years, but um, I feel like there is that new generation of people. And some of the conversations we've had, the people you had, you know, on the podcast like last week, and mm. um, it's it, it's very it's very encouraging to see that and see these people having interactions with those people that have been in the industry for a long time because they're going to know things that you know they're going to solve problems that people are probably coming up against now um, and be able to give them the answers to that and it's nice to know that that sharing is going to be going on here and being, being passed to the next people that are going to be hopefully take the industry forward should we talk about some other panel sessions and presentations and Sam because I'm very aware that we've taken more of a chunk of time mm-hmm. than we're supposed to um, so I know that you went to a really interesting NASA chat yesterday do you want yeah. to talk about it? I think it's my favourite of the week. Um, it might be, it's probably one of my favourites ever at an AM event. Um, so Paul Gradle, who was on the um, Innovators and Innovators podcast with Eliana Fu ooh, in July or August of last year. Um, so he's a principal engineer at um, NASA's Marshall Space Flight Centre and he gave um, this really detailed presentation and after he'd gone through all the successes at the that the organisation is having with using AM in rocket engine applications. He then turned to one of their failures and to demonstrate this he played this video um, which showed a hot fire test of a thrust chamber, 3D printed thrust chamber, um, that they made with their GR COP42 copper chromium niobium alloy, um, which is a you know a new material that they've developed and they're doing a load of stuff there which was really interesting as well. Um, which I'm out of time to go into, but somewhere through this hot fire test, there was a very, very small leak, and then I think it was within like 200 milliseconds, just like the biggest explosion, um, which drew a very audible and collective gasp from, from those in the audience. Um, and that test was carried out as part of a long life additive manufacturing assembly project, which they call LAMA, um, which seeks to determine the performance of GRCOP 42 for this fresh chamber system and they, they were doing this test two years ago I think it was like February 21 um, and the design of that thrust chamber I think they printed several of them in the same build 
Um, they tested upwards of 50 times, um, which I think I think Paul said that would have been sufficient. We're happy with it. They had the capacity to do another test. They did another test, and that's when they had the failure. Mm. Um, and then what Paul did was he took us through how, how they identified what the issue was. Um, so when they did their like process evaluation, everything was good. Everything checked out, everyone had a green flag. They also did some CT scans of the chambers. They sectioned the chambers um, for metallography evaluations. They did some tensile and fatigue tests as well. Um, and everything was fine. There was no indication that there was any residual stress that contributed to it. Um, what they could see though, even with their naked eye, was these witness lines of on the part, and that that didn't even raise any initial red flags. They were just like, we know why that's there, um, and they didn't they didn't really think anything of it. Like the surface is imperfect, but it didn't need to be perfect. Um, when they were going through their evaluation of why there was that failure. Um, so they had videos of all of the previous tests, all 50 of them. And on the 51st test, they noticed there was a slight leak on one of those witness lines. And then on the 52nd test, there was a leak and then there was the explosion. Um, and those witness lines come from two separate interruptions in the build. So one was a power outage, which I think, I think Paul said that was like a two hour stop. And then the other one was a powder refill. One thing they didn't have, they put some witness specimens in there and they lost them in transit. And so they, they were, and Paul was like, that's happened to everyone. <laughs> but this time, this time, if we'd have had them, maybe we'd have, um, we'd have known not to, to test it. But it did, it did okay for 50 times. Um, when they, when they were doing some of their later tests, they would, they would, they were testing like tensile bars and things like that and stopping it in the same place. Um, and there's a difference in porosity between um, a normal tensile bar and where the witness lines are. So like I think it was tensile bar would be like zero point zero zero six percent, and then at mo the biggest difference in porosity was like nearly two percent on one of those lines. Um, and so basically, from that they've come up with some conclusions, which is very obvious I think it sounds very obvious when you've seen a big old explosion mm-hmm. but he's like there needs to be an appropriate restart procedure um, that you need to develop and then follow to maintain the quality of the application because when I was at GE the other day they were telling me that some of their builds are like 36 days long wow. and if you like so the amount of times you have to refill that and there's probably a good chance of a power outage given the amount of stuff that's going on um like that, and he was. They were like, "That's not ideal, but we can make it work." But the variables there, mm-hmm. like anything can go wrong in over a month, um, and when it does, you need to know exactly what to do. Um, so they that needs to happen. You also need full length wit- witness specimens in there, um, and so now NASA have developed a protocol that, in the event of a print disruption, um, they've got this whole document, but. He, somebody asked the question afterwards because he didn't mention it in his presentation like what do you actually do in that event and he, he quickly went through it and it was that you basically drop the bill plate um, you allow one full um, pass of the recoder and then you do the previous layer so you build the previous layer again so that the machine is, by the time you like get going with where you left off the machine is warmed up you want you want the elevated temperature 
um, and then you recommit the bill and you, and you go forward um, and so they've got a full document there I think, he, I think he even said to be fair he said if you come up to me or if you email me I can share that with you um, he didn't have it with him but he's like you know we can we can share that with you but I thought it was really interesting because the particularly when you're working in those industries the 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 chances that you're going to have to disrupt the build are probably quite big I know I know G's band jet machine we were looking at last week they have a set where it just the powder just is like you've got the it basically it just pulls it from another system so it's not like there's a you load the powder that just is um, like always occurring and then you've got some canisters and you might need to refill them but by the time you've done that there's still more powder coming yeah. in but I think for, for some of the older machines that's not quite the case and so you are having to load powder in and it seems obvious but that like that is obviously a potential issue because you're stopping it and you're starting it again mm-hmm. and ideally you just have a continuous thing um, but I thought it was really interesting that We've talked about this a lot recently, but that they felt comfortable, and he did say nobody was harmed, which is probably why I could tell you about it. <laughs> but he felt comfortable to say, and this is their own material, like that they're really proud of, and he's like, it, this was a big failure, but this is what we did to work that out, and from that, I think most people in that room would takeaway that if they're not already being really cautious about when a machine has to stop and start again that they that they ought to be and I know they're not all doing hot fire tests with mm-hmm. flush chambers um, but I thought it was really interesting and really good to see someone finally um, show us the, the stuff that doesn't work yeah the stuff that doesn't work <laughs> because that everyone this is cliche but you learn from the mistakes but if you're not sh- sharing the mistakes with the industry then it'll take you know, then SpaceX are probably going to come up against that problem and whoever else, mm-hmm. and why do they need to if you've already realised it's an issue? Yeah. No, so. I, think, I think you're so right, and that is definitely something we've, we've talked a lot about recently, where people do want to hear more about not just the, the good news stories, but the stuff that, that didn't work. Another presentation that I sat in, it was a panel session, I think it was on day one, um, and this was an automotive panel session with Stratasys, but focusing specifically on the uh, SAF technology. Um, and it was with a few automotive companies, so Rivian, Toyota, and also Stratasys Direct. And the reason why Stratasys Direct are on it is because um, they're a tier one supplier to the automotive industry, um, which I think is important to highlight because a lot of the time these companies are not directly mm. supplying to these massive automakers. Um, but yeah, they were all just talking about how they're using um, SAF technology. Rivian says uh, they've made 130,000 parts over the past year. Um, half of that using the SAF technology, which I think is, considering that that's still a relatively mm. new technology to the industry, um, I think that, that that's pretty important. They started out as a, as a beta tester for the machine. Um, they Apparently Stratasys just said, use this, not going to charge you for it, see what you can do with it. And they said they had it for three months, they said they just didn't want to give it back. So I think that's a pretty good, <laughs> good proof of concept. Um, so but the way that they work, what they're interested in is they want to be able to um, you know, make changes, try new things, and, and they want those changes to take effect the next day. So additive manufacturing is, of course, great for that. And the SAF technology, as we know, is a very fast additive manufacturing um, process. 
Um, they're obviously working in very competitive markets, so that that's that's super important. And I thought as well, just like some of the things you just don't really think about, how you know productivity if you're printing that many parts, and I guess touching on what you've just said about making sure you've got enough powder, that sort of thing, and just the reality of what it's like for an engineer, where like you set up your build on a Friday, um, you might knit back in the office on a Saturday afternoon just to flip something over and then come back, but um, how they are actually they're running pretty much twenty four seven, like like through the week. So their machines are never sitting over the weekend kind of compared that to like you know a, a, an old car where you don't leave it on the driveway for for like a week because you might not get it started okay mm-hmm. you know you keep you keep uh, bills running over the weekend and um they said they've got two h350 machines which is enough to keep a build running um, all day and they've actually got i think i think they say they run four different builds um per day but they've you know they're very much at, at capacity um, so it was just it was just very interesting to hear from a company like that and, and a relatively um, new company too to hear what they're doing with additive. But again, getting to hear from Stratus Direct as well, who um, apparently they Stratus Direct there, so they're they're an additive manufacturing service provider. Um, of course they've got Stratus brands on there, but you know they don't just use Stratus machines. I've gone and visited their facility, um, and I remember first walking in like. Why is it 3D systems machine here? Yeah. And um, they've got a, a bit of everything. Um, and as we know now, Stratasys have got so many different technologies under that roof. Um, but it's not actually a given that they will just install any of their technologies. Like they've got the DLP technologies, for example. Just because they brought that in doesn't mean they're going to put it in Stratasys direct manufacturing. And that also doesn't mean that they're never going to do yeah. that. But it's not like, hey, we've got this. We're going to just chuck it in straight away. So you know, even them themselves are being pragmatic about where the technology adds value. Um, but they're obviously a, a big user of the SAF technology as well because they do supply to these um, these various automotive companies. And the other thing was as well about the SAF technology, they were talking a lot about um, you know, not throwing not throwing any way any waste powder away and how much powder they're able to reuse, that sort of thing. And Stratasys says they don't actually throw any of their SAF powder away, which is pretty good in terms mm-hmm. of uh, you know, um, sustainability and making sure machines are as efficient as possible. So um I, I enjoyed that chat and I, I think it is at AMOG it is the panel sessions I like sitting in on the most I do like hearing people bounce off each other and then not just that this this panel session was run by strategists but then there was about 20 minutes at the end where the audience could get up and, and ask their own questions and I really like how boring some of the questions are because it's just the things that people actually want to find out about like, like oh yeah okay and, and can you tell me about this with this material and like yeah but what did you actually do to finish that or like okay well how long does you know you said that it's quick changes but how long is that quick changer is it 20 minutes is it half an hour because that really matters and it's like you know I'm sat there thinking I'm useless to these people mm-hmm. um but they, they need to where else can you go and ask those kinds of questions and just you know be presented with these people at these great companies that are using this technology and, and learn from that so um that's honestly one of my one of my favorite bits of just kind of been an observer to this event yeah i sat in on a um it was a photopolymers and vat polymerization panel session um but it was it was it was moderated by um Callie Higgins from the National Institute of Standards and Technology, and it was very standards focused, but it wasn't just Callie asking questions to the panel. It became like the whole room was on the panel, mm. and it was a really good focus session and brainstorming session um, about the standards of material or materials, um, and some interesting points being made, particularly from those in, in the audience. So Nadine Lipper of, of Wilson Sporting Goods. Um, made a point that uh, like a dog bone specimen that will typically be thrown in is not representative of most printed parts and I think 
think maybe someone from Resolve 3D um, backed that up by saying if you're making a lattice part but you're just throwing in a, a normal um, dog bone specimen that doesn't have any lattices and you're, mm. the, the, you're not getting anything from the properties of one to the properties of another. It may just, like, it's pointless. Mm-hmm. But then they were, they were trying to work out what's a good standard when that's true because they're all doing different things with different materials with different slightly different processes brand to brand for different applications maybe there's lattice maybe there's not so how there how can there be a standard and what do you do with that specimen mm-hmm. like I, I and i was just there thinking well surely the best way to test that this part on this side of the, the print bed or the print volume is good is to do the exact same part on the other how about like if you want the you know, if you mm-hmm. want to know, then how else do you do it? Because you can't... I know they all do it with all of these technologies, but it isn't ever really like-for-like, like, mm-hmm. and you can't be 100% oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. Even with that NASA example, like, they looked at everything and was like, it's fine, and it still blew up. Mm-hmm. So, on the 50-second test. So, um, so yeah, it was, it was a really interesting conversation, and just watching them all... Um, it was like a 90 minute panel session um, and like you said it is funny because some of it is very very nerdy and it's quite fun to watch them all geek out and they they all just rattle off specific standards and the various letters and numbers in that standard and like how on earth do you remember that um, just off the top of your head um, and then another one I went to which is a it's a similar one to the, the Leica keynote where um, General Atomics Aeronautical gave a presentation and they just dragged um, the Divergent CTO up onto the stage for the last 15 minutes to talk about their collaboration, which similarly... So when Divergent, uh, Kevin Zinger gave the keynote last year, um, General Atomics Aeronautical were just sat at the back and they caught up with him afterwards. Um, and this was before... Um, Divergent had announced they're working for, with Aston Martin mm-hmm. um, but they were basically looking at what they were doing and they were just like well why can't we just do that for aerospace and defence um, and I think that was part of the Divergent plan anyway to kind of expand there but what they've been working on is um, some unmanned aircraft systems um, and so they they were showing a, a system that had it's made up of four nodes so there was like a payload then the then there were two nodes with like fuel tanks and cable routing, and then there was engine mounts as well. But that whole um, airframe, they can do one per day, mm. and the assembly of it with with robotics can take less than fifteen minutes. Um, and it was really what was really interesting is that when I remember watching that keynote last year, and it just seemed very very futuristic, and you were yeah. a bit like, mm, yeah, right, like cool, <laughs> but not really, like, but seeing that you're like okay maybe like maybe it works and I did, obviously they didn't go into the economics of it all but um, the fact that they've already got Aston Martin and I think um, they mentioned that they're at series production with them and, and um, I can't remember the numbers they were talking about there but they're, they're producing a lot with them and then they've already expanded into aerospace um, and yeah it just sounded really interesting and I think what's nice is because you can look at the the keynote they gave last year and be a bit cynical about it, but within twelve months they've already got two projects on going with two different brands and two different industries. Mm-hmm. Um, so it made me feel a bit like okay, 
I can believe it a bit more. Yeah. Um, because they're doing that, like their whole process looked really interesting, um, and some of the claims they were making last year, it'll be really exciting if it all works. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's good to see a couple of applications come out of that already. But don't you think that comes back to the whole inspiration thing? Like it's inspiration rather than just like innovation, because like I think about the so the Wilson basketballs here this week. And um, we've had a conversation with people recently who've been quite cynical about it. Like, so it's, it's a 3D printed basketball, it's airless basketball. Um, and I've had people saying, like, oh, what's the point in it? Like, you know, the, the, the NBA are never going to adopt that sort of thing. Um, and seeing it this week, though, and actually seeing the crowd, yeah, all right, maybe people are still asking those questions, but it, it's getting people thinking, though, about how it could actually be used. And I don't know whether that's going to be the one that, that does get used or not, but it is about just having something to yeah. inspire people and honestly getting the, the wider audience talking about additive manufacturing, which is another conversation I've had this week where even though events like this are great because you're around like users, can also be a bit of an echo chamber. And so it's the next step of like inviting those people that, that maybe hadn't considered it before and how do you inspire those people? And I do think it is applications like that, like these flashy automotive applications that will interest people, like a basketball. Like, yeah, it might not be like, it might not work straight away. It might, it might not be reality, but... Um, it, it at least gets it kind of switches the light bulb on for people yeah the fact you can you've got the material properties and the design capabilities to make an airless ball bounce absolutely far, like is really interesting I imagine a lot of people will be wanting to well we, we walk through the technical competition and there were people crowding around that table um, I also don't I don't know whether <laughs> they'll ever have that as a ball but I do think I think for like a soccer football, that's changed loads in mm-hmm. over the decades. It used to be a really heavy leather ball, and now it's not. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe not, but maybe I don't think it's completely out of the realms. But given and by the way, this whole thing, what I think is important to mention is Wilson Sporting Goods have said let's do this. Mm-hmm. It's not somebody. It's not a proof of concept by like a three D printing company. Yeah, it's yeah. the supplier of the ball to yeah. the NBA. Um, that, like, so I I think there's probably more in it than you'd think. Like they saw the point in it. Mm-hmm. So if the manufacturer of the ball is looking at it, then I don't know. Maybe one day, because, and maybe they won't. But they've they've done it and they've brought it here and they're going to bring it to Rapid. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether they'd have got that far down the line if they didn't think there was something in it. Mm-hmm. Whether it works economically is another matter, obviously. Mm-hmm. But. Um, they're clearly looking at ways they can change how they manufacture the ball. Okay, well, I think um, that's probably it for today's episode because uh, we've got more things to go and see today. Um, I've not had coffee yet because of my mishap at the start when I very selflessly got one for Sam and not myself. Um, so <laughs> You're also 17 minutes late for checkout. I am 17 minutes late for checkout and I'm hoping that my case is still in my bedroom and not kicked out. Yeah, thrown um, out of the window. Yeah, yeah um, so thank you very much for listening. Um, we'll have plenty of um, AMUG coverage, I'm sure, coming up over the next few weeks. Um, if you do like um, what you hear, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And for more additive insight, you can go to tstmagazine.com to get your free print subscription to TST Magazine and get the biggest 3D printing news stories of the week delivered straight to your inbox every Sunday. Well, thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you again next time. Bye.